We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your regular host, Tyler Grzegorek. Mike Wendlandt was unable to join us tonight, but I am joined by one of my newer teammates, Chris Schimmel. As always, you can find the podcast on at Pack-A-Day Podcast on Twitter, and myself, you can find me at Tyler underscore Grez. Chris, how's life? Pretty, pretty good, pretty good. Finally, three-day weekend. Long week of work, but overall, it's been good. How about you? I'm good, I'm good. You going anywhere for the, for the long weekend? I am going to do absolutely nothing. Hey, sometimes doing absolutely nothing is the best thing. I know. that's It's awesome. Like last weekend, I did absolutely nothing, and it was awesome. So I, I want to repeat that again <laughs> this weekend. So I, I'm still discovering that, that recent grad life. I recently graduated from school back in December, and I honestly can tell you I had no idea how much time I spent doing school stuff. But now that I'm not doing school stuff, I just have so much extra time on my hands, I just don't know what to do with it sometimes. So, uh, doing nothing has become a frequent part of my life lately. And if you know, so I'm trying to get more into the football research side of things and really get into some maybe data analytics and fantasy football. You know how they build the spreadsheets out and projections and stuff like that. So, do you have any projects that you're working on? Well, I had a, a website called ShimmelSports.com where I used to write a bunch of articles, and I really took a long hiatus from it. But now that I'm more solidified and all that. I want to start getting back into it. So this uh, 
definitely when uh, the preseason starts, I'm going to start writing some articles on that. So you can find that at chimmelsports.com. You'll see I haven't written anything on it in a long time, but I'm going to get back into it. Yeah, same here. I haven't really been writing a lot lately. I I kind of ramped it up closer to the draft, and this last month or so, I've been really lackadaisical about it. I've just been kind of moseying around Twitter and uh, not really been super engaged on the article writing front and just in general. So I'm looking to get back into that myself. Uh, but today, we are here to talk about this Packers offseason, because for the most part, it is over. There will be a few moves here and there, a few small ones, but I, I think most of the big moves and the waves of free agency and trades and the draft, everything has kind of come you know, to, to this point. And we're here, and I think the rosters are pretty much what they're going to be heading into the season. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, we've got this broken down and simply into two two different categories. Good moves and bad moves. And we were talking before we got onto the recording, and we do have some areas that we're going to slightly disagree or maybe majorly disagree. I guess we'll get into it here and we'll see. But let's just start with the good. Let's start people off with the good news and the good the good moves, and let's get everybody in a good mood. So uh, I'll just start out. You know, I think Goot did a great job of addressing roster holes. And if you want to kind of expand on that more. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's so incredibly difficult, if not downright impossible, to fill every single hole in one offseason. So, of course, there's going to be some deficiencies. However, you have to see, you know, does the good outweigh the bad? And so, of course, my number one, no shock, is signing Adrian Amos at free safety. Yeah, and, you know, I, I mentioned that Goot is just addressing deficiencies, and you're 100% right. It's nearly impossible to do to address every single deficiency. But somehow, Gutekunst is finding ways to really solidify positions that were weak the year before. If we look back at 2018, he added Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams at the position, Bashad Breeland eventually, who we'll talk about later. He's really finding these positions that he's deeming as weak, and he's just going out and just simply addressing them. Zadarius Smith, Smith, Preston Smith this year at the edge position, uh, drafting Rayshon Gary, uh, signing Amos, drafting Darnell Savage. He's just going out, and he is just simply being aggressive and addressing the holes. Exactly. You know, that's a, a huge difference, I, th- I think, between college and the pros is college. It's, you're, you're so dependent on just overall talent, while in the NFL, it's you want to attack your opponent's weaknesses is what it is. And he sees these weaknesses and says, you know, I'm sick and tired of this team getting exposed year after year at the same kind of things, you know, weak pass rush, secondary problems. And he's going to turn them into strengths. And so far these last two years, he's done a darn good job of doing that. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but be excited about this edge group. I think it's the group I'm most excited about. I ran a Twitter poll recently just to kind of get a gauge of the Packers fandom. I only got about 200 votes, but of those 200 votes, it was about 50% edge. So I think that's pretty telling as far as uh, between the corners and the safeties and the running backs, what group you're most excited about, even wide receiver in that group. I, it's very, very easy to get excited about this group moving forward, considering the guy behind, you know, the defense and Mike Pettin. And what he's going to do with this group is just so exciting. And Mike Smith's press conference the other day, uh, he said that there's going to be four outside linebackers on the field at one time. How could you not get excited about that? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, that's what I love about the NFL today. You know, if you go back and you watch football in like 1970s or even the 1980s, where you see defenses in the same formation, but now you see defenses in different formations that, you you know, you've never seen before. And you're like, what's what are they doing here? And that's the whole point is just to, you know, get in the offense's head and make them not know where the pressure is going to be coming from. So, yeah, four outside linebackers on the field at one time. It almost reminds me of a I know of uh, Don Capers, a psycho package that they used to have. Something like that, really creative. Speaking of the psycho package, I, when I played Madden, I always took the Packers defensive playbook because of the psycho package. <laughs> I loved I loved that formation, and I just loved what you could do out of it. And it's kind of funny that we're talking about that because I believe it was like a 2-4-5 or something like that. And well, I thought that I think it almost you only had one guy down on no, the you're ground. Right. You just had like a you had you had a you had the nose tackle, and I think maybe a Mike Daniels, if he's still if he still got it, or uh, Kenny Clark can be that guy, and then you have the four or five linebackers out there. So yeah, I think they could actually implement. You're 100 right. I think it was a one five five. So you're looking at one down lineman, your nose tackle, your five linebackers, and your five defensive backs. To think about yeah, the, the the capabilities with this team, you know, the strength now at outside linebacker and the edge position and the weakness at the inside linebacker position. That might actually be something that's beneficial if they can get a guy like a Preston Smith to stand up and go and, you know, drop back into coverage a little bit. Kyler Fackrell has stated desire to do the same thing. I don't, I don't see Zadarius Smith being that kind of guy, but it doesn't mean he's not athletic enough to do it. So every, every now and then I should say, um, but you, I'm really looking at this group, and I'm getting excited just with the options that Mike Pettin's going to have in front of him. And it really saddens me that Josh Jones is requesting a trade because I think he just adds to that versatility and what Mike Pettin could have done. And I think he's being a little impatient uh, with that. It, it, it kind of sucks from his perspective, his perspective because they added two guys in front of him when he probably thought he was going to be a starter this, this year. But he just needs to suck it up and go out there and perform. And I think that those, those right. snaps will come to him. Oh yeah. And you know, and it, that's what really hurts because he was the guy I was, I think I said this last podcast that he was the guy I was most excited for in that entire draft class. Cause I saw him as a big safety who can also play inside linebacker, just a versatile guy, kind of like, you know, just a Swiss army knife, but you know, he hasn't been playing well. They've kept him at safety. He's been getting burned. And I just, I know, but at, this, at the end of the day, you have to go out and perform. And if you don't do that, then I don't see them keeping him around and, I can see the frustration from him, but at the end of the day, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, and here's the thing about Gutekunst, you know, since we're still on uh, the incredible strides that he's made these last two off seasons to address the holes on the roster. Uh, the other thing that he's really kind of put his stamp on, he's not going to stand for this I before we attitude. You know, he guys who are coming out and saying, you know, this is wrong. I need to get more playing time. Like the coach is wrong here. You know, I don't understand why this guy's doing this. Like the guys who are doing that and being outspoken in the wrong ways, they don't last much longer on the team. Ha Clinton Dix was shipped out uh, midseason last year. I, I, it was kind of inevitable that he was going to be gone. And so, you know, to get a fourth round pick for him was fantastic to turn that into uh, a, the trade package for Darnell F. Savage, I believe. Anyway, the point is, you upgraded HaHa Clinton Dix to Darnell Savage, who's like complete opposite of HaHa Clinton Dix, <laughs> and and then Ty Montgomery. You know the the fumble against the Rams. It was. Oh, just, you had to bring that. Sorry, up. <laughs> just, you, 
for him to come out after that play and to be out as spoken as he was, the way he was, Gutekunst showed no, he just, he was like, you're gone. Like, you know, you don't get to go make a bad play and then go out there and complain. And, and then, you know, we're not, like, we're not going to stand for that. And so I just don't know if Josh Jones is going to make it out of training camp. And that's a sad, that's a sad thing either. Uh, So I'm looking at this, the safety group though, and I'm still excited about it because I still believe in Raven Green as a backup caliber kind of guy, you know, maybe not excelling at any one thing but just being good at a lot of different things or like not bad at a lot of different things just average and i think that's oh yeah and uh yeah and it's like and uh i think i read an article about amos and savage being able to both play both free and strong mm-hmm. safety they can mix it up i think that darnell savage is gonna be the guy that this defense looks to a lot more often than not maybe not this first year but second year third year he's gonna be the guy that this defense looks to as the playmaker you know, I don't want to. I do not want to draw comparisons to Charles Woodson. I'm not doing that, but I think he can be that type of leader for this defense and the guy that they they rely on and they depend on to make that big play when they need it. Definitely. Now I'm going to switch it over to the other side of the ball, offense. Now this might take people by surprise, but I think one of the best moves that the Packers did was keeping Jimmy Graham for one more year. Yeah, I. You know, when we talk about tight ends, it's such a funny position. For most teams, it's a very unproductive position. And I and that's the main reason why I'm glad they're bringing him back is because they really don't have any playmaker behind him. And we can make an argument if he was even much of a playmaker last year. But I took a look at his first year in Seattle and then his second year in Seattle. He went from 605 receiving yards to 923, two touchdowns to six. So I hopefully that he makes a, a much bigger second year with the Packers. And that's what I think they're banking on. And then of course they got the, in the third round, getting a tight end who will probably replace him when, uh, after the season's done. But I'm thinking it's glad, I'm glad that they brought him back at least one more. Yeah. Time. You know, after looking at the, the landscape of the tight end free agency and what was going to be available in the draft when I'm really glad they brought him back and they didn't, they didn't pigeonhole themselves into taking trading up for a Hawkinson or taking a Fant at 12. You know, I'm really glad that they didn't pigeonhole themselves into doing that. And that was the strength of the whole draft period was that they didn't pigeonhole themselves. They could have done whatever they wanted. And it really showed they ad- they addressed depth at many positions, including offensive line, which another one of Goot's uh, A-plus moves over the offseason is addressing that offensive line depth. There's still some question marks at right tackle, which we'll get into in a little bit. But... The point is, he. I think that there's a good blend of future sight and present sight, if you will, with Goot and the way he's building this roster. He understands where he needs to get better. He's under, he's looking into the future. He's addressing the problems for now, but also for the future. So there's there's just a good mix of that, and that's not something we really saw with Ted Thompson. It seemed like every move with him was a future based move. And, you know, and that and that's what that, you know, Ted Thompson, it was always a future based move. And Mike Sherman, I feel, was the opposite. It was a win. It was a now move. So good. Guns, that feels like the perfect blend between the two. Granted, it's only two off seasons and we might be giving him like, way too much credit because we can't even evaluate either draft class yet. Well, we're excited. Yes, you know, we're, we're exactly. excited. So. I just I, I do this. Is, I, I'm a realist. I do got to look at it from the negative and the positive perspective. And I'm very excited right now. I, I think. I'm more excited to see this defense than I am the offense. And I honestly cannot remember the last time I saw that or said, said that, you know, last yeah. year I was incredibly excited to see the defense and it was exciting at times. There were still, there were still moments of, of faltering and just of 
what had looked what it had looked like under Dom Capers. But I think for the first time in a long time, I'm legitimately excited to see this Packers defense more so than I am the offense. And I think this Packers defense could be top 10 this year. Hopefully. The last time they've had a top 10 defense was when they won the Super Bowl. So hopefully they do. Now, would you want to keep going with the best? Do you have any more? Or should we flip over and go to the worst move so far this offseason? Yeah. Oh, one more quick, you know, good move, okay. I guess, from Goody and the Packers. It's because I say the Packers because Murphy is involved as well. But bringing in a new uh, offensive coordinator, I think you can lump a head coach in there as well. You know, the Mike McCarthy departure was imminent. But bringing in that new OC, we were talking offline about Joe Philbin. And when he came back prior to last year, how we were excited because we're like, oh, McCarthy's finally going to allow somebody else to take over the offense and, and inject some new life into it, some creativity into it. And that just didn't happen. Yep, nothing happened. And I think you we're know, definitely going to see a new offense. Like, there's no question about that. Oh, yeah. Like they said, oh, you know, when, you know, think of the 2011 Packers, Joe Philbin was the offensive coordinator and he was the offensive coordinator when they won the Super Bowl. He's coming back in and really nothing happened. And so I really think hopefully that Matt LaFleur will actually give the offensive coordinator some freedom. I, I, you know, I don't know if McCarthy really had the offensive coordinator on a short leash and just, you know, went off by himself. But I, I am. I think this is overall a really good move to bring in a, a new offensive coordinator. And I think one of the most positive aspects out of it that aspects out of it that we've seen so far is the happiness of Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know <laughs> if it's because he's got some new challenges that he has to meet. I don't know if it's because they brought back Luke Getzey, one of you know a guy that he's spoken highly of in the past. And I just you you can see it. It's been evident from day one ever since they stepped back into the same the facility at the same time. Rodgers has just been happier. It's so easy to see. I mean, I, I could not have guessed a year ago that we'd be watching a Bucks playoff game and we would be talking about Aaron Rodgers chugging beers in a competition with David Bakhtiari, even though we try, clearly trying, lost. Trying to, to chug a beer, because that was pretty bad. <laughs> but the, the fact is, he got, on, he got on the big screen and he did it, and he looked like he was having he a did. good time. And I yeah, think that's right. a, it's the first time in a long time we've really seen Aaron Rodgers having a good time. And also, uh, yeah, he went on Twitter calling up Bakhtiari saying, next time, let's do scotch. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's good. It's good fun, and it's good to see QB1 uh, in in a good light again because it was a pretty pretty dreary couple of years if you really want to get into it with 2016 and 2017. Mm -hmm. It's it's just pretty uh, pretty dark as far as the way we looked at Aaron Rodgers and talking about how mopey and sad he was. It's just just really, really, really good to see him happy. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. All right, so now moving into the bad, I think we've had enough... Uh, happiness for one podcast there still is things to talk about and things to be concerned about so you know we talked about how good uh, addressed the offensive line depth there's one part or one area of the line he did not address and that's the future planet right tackle now I do want to give put a disclaimer on this and say that he did a lot this offseason and as we mentioned at the beginning of the pod you can't do everything and it just did not fall into place this year to address the future at right tackle. Now, that's a luxury. It, it really is. Most teams are like, we need to find a starting right tackle. The Packers are trying to find their future starting right tackle. That's such a luxury to have, and that just shows how the roster is being built. So, Bulaga is going to be in place for at least one more year. How many games he plays, I guess we'll have to see. But, I mean, I think his injuries are a little bit overrated and a little bit overblown. He's still, he's still been a relatively reliable tackle, even if injured and playing. So I'm excited to see him get on the field this year and what he looks like uh, going into, I think, age 31. 
Uh, and then Billy Turner uh, as well. It looks like he's slated to be the starting right guard uh, going into training camp. So we'll see if Justin McRae can fight him for that spot. I don't see it happening, but we'll see. Uh, but Billy Turner could be the backup plan at right tackle. And most teams don't even have a backup plan at future starting right tackle. So it's it's a really good spot to have a problem at. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I don't know what else I can add to that. But yeah, overall, they're going to have to replace him. I don't know if they think, all right, we're going to probably – bank on these guys this year and then next year we'll be able to find a replacement you know kind of like I think what they did with wide receiver and other positions they think you know we can't you know fill all the holes in one off season but we trust these guys this year and we'll we'll do right tackle next year hopefully it pays off yeah and I you know I think it will because I believe it's Belaga's last year under contract so Mm -hmm. no harm no foul he has a bad year uh from an injury standpoint or you know his as his athleticism and his play falls off then you just let him go. And you know what? Likely he signs a contract with another team big enough to get a compensatory pick in return. I don't know what kind of compensatory pick, what degree, but you know, I just, yeah, that's wishful thinking. Hopefully. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it only takes about a four or $5 million a year contract to get compensatory yeah. picks now, regardless of the degree. So, you know, I just don't think that there's a huge risk there at the moment. Obviously you're still looking for that future right tackle, but incredible luxury to have. Moving on to insurance at positions, the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, this is under the bad category because if Devontae Adams, God forbid, gets hurt, then we're just it's oh, gonna be yeah. it's gonna be a crap show at the position. They're really real that and that's the thing. They don't have a real true number two wide receiver. I mean, I, I, they're really banking on not only Adams, but Geronimo Allison. You know, with Randall Cobb gone. Geronimo Allison, don't get me wrong, he got off to a hot start last year. But he he's been he's been inconsistent and he's been hurt. So if so, I'm I'm always going to expect Allison to get hurt and miss a couple of good games. So that means they're putting even more on Devontae Adams. So they're really banking on these uh, young receivers to make a pretty solid leap. But uh, do you think they're going to be able to do it? I'm a big uh, Equinemia St. Brown fan, so I really think that he could take a step forward this year. Uh, I really like some of the things that we saw from him last year and some of the pluses, even though last year was terrible and in a lot of different ways, these young receivers got a lot of reps, maybe not Jamon Moore. And that's sadly because he just was not up to par with ESB and MVS as far as a development standpoint and being ready for game days. But even on some of his limited special team snaps, you can see Jamon Moore efforts, not a question, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's just simply getting Getting his head right. I think the talent's there. Uh, I posted a clip the other day of one of my favorite Tim Boyle throws, and it was to Jamon Moore, and it was dropped right in the bucket. You know, no strides lost from Jamon Moore, and he dropped it. And it was in a preseason game, but I mean, that kind of plagued his season moving forward because he wasn't able to get on the field in front of ESB or MVS or Devontae Adams. Yeah, he's had he's had trouble with you know with drops going back to college, and that was exactly. a huge a huge knock on him going in, but uh. Overall, I'm really going to be watching them like crazy in the preseason to see if they really do make these jumps because they're all they're all from a body standpoint very similar. They're tall, they're athletic, but do you really think it's it's great to have wide receivers with very very similar characteristics and not as much variety? Well, I think that's what the tight ends are going to be used for. Okay. So I, I think, you know, Mercedes Lewis, he brings some value to the team uh, from the tight end position as a blocker. I think he's capable, he definitely is capable, I should say, of, of slipping out every now and then and just being that domineering force on the outside and uh, being a receiver down the field. I, I, Jimmy Graham, 
he was in position to succeed a lot last year. He just couldn't. I don't when he know got why. hurt and when he when he broke his thumb, I think that really that really right. is what set and him off. I think with a lot of these receivers, you know, MVS, ESB, Devontae Adams, Jimmy Graham, uh, maybe maybe not Mercedes Lewis so much, but with those first four that I mentioned, Rodgers trusts them. And it, it may not, they may not have been making the plays last year, but we've seen the level of Rodgers' trust and how it can affect these receivers' play from game to game and year to year. I think with a full offseason with these guys, you know, with Devontae Adams working with them, with with a new offense that will allow LaFleur and now Hackett to come in and kind of see what these guys can offer and move them around these formations and put them in positions to even further succeed than even more so than MVS was and ESB was and Devonte Adams in the career year he had. I'm just excited for the group in general. I know that there's a lot of concern about the lack of depth, but I think Toronto Allison can be good. I don't think they re-sign him to a long-term deal unless he goes out and blows everybody out of the water. I don't, he just needs to stay healthy. That's just the biggest thing with him. But as far as these guys all having a similar skill set, I still think that there are unique things that they can do. I think I think Marcus Valdez-Scantling, I think he's a guy you can stretch the field for you. Uh, Devontae Adams can do anything you want. He's not necessarily a burner, but he's going to he's gonna win vertically because of his technique. Equal oh, yeah, his route running ability is second to none. Yeah, and he's nobody's going to press him. So what do you do when you're not being pressed? You work underneath. So that's going to be very easy for Devontae Adams to do because he's so good after the catch as well. I'm just I'm just excited for this offense in general. I think Equinemius St. Brown uh, is going to take a big leap this year. I, I've been a believer in him since I saw him at Notre Dame. There were reports that he was soft at, at Notre Dame, but I didn't really see that. You know, and Maybe he's not the guy who's going to go up and win vertical jump balls, but you don't need that type of guy in every player on your team. You know, there's a guy, uh, Alan Lazard, is, is on the team. If, if he shows up in training camp at preseason, he's a different body type that they don't have. Maybe he can find his way onto the roster. Um, but I think that's I think that's why guys like Jay Kumaro are going to be on the outside looking in when we're when we're talking about the final roster here in a few months. He, he, there's just too many of the same type of guy, and I think on the back end of the roster is where you would use to fill in those guys who are a little bit different, like an Alan Lazard. I, I don't. You know, I've kind of floated around the idea of a Michael Crabtree as a guy you could bring in, but I'm not super, super high on it because he's he's been hurt. He's been – he had a good year last year actually for Baltimore. I mean he had a couple couple drops here and there, but he, he's been relatively good. I think he's a guy that you could throw on the back end of your roster with these other four young guys or three young guys, and you could say, all right, these are our six guys. We got Adams, Crabtree, Allison – MSB, EV, uh, I'm sorry, ESB, MVS, and uh, Jamon Moore. And I think you roll into the season with that, something like that. But I just I just don't know what they do outside of adding, adding another veteran guy like that. I, I just think that the, the six receivers might be on the team already. Yeah, like I, that's why I, I didn't expect them to get a wide receiver in free agency. I was expecting them to get someone in the draft, possibly second, third, or fourth round. That's where I was expecting them to get. I just don't think it, that they fell the way that they wanted them to. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, I thought they were, could have drafted. They could have drafted wide receiver Paris Campbell out of Ohio State, but I would have been in, in the love second round. <laughs> see, see, you would have loved that move. See, I they, they could have got because if you take a look at the history of the Packers as wide receivers in the draft, they're all second, third round picks. You know, Greg Jennings second round, Jordy Nelson second round, James Jones second round, Randall Cobb second round. You know, and that so I always thought that they were going to get a good wide receiver in the second round, but yeah. they didn't do it. 
Well, you know, that just shows how confident that they might be. Uh, considering how we talked about Gutspen willing to address roster holes, he must not view wide receiver as a roster hole. Uh, they let Randall Cobb walk. Uh, which get, which shows even further his confidence in these young guys right now, and maybe it's a little bit of a you know my my inaugural class bias, but I I just I believe in this group. I I don't know if Jamal Moore is gonna be able to put it together. I think he has the athleticism and the talent to do so. If he can get mentally right, I think he's gonna be a good receiver. I think he could be a Geronimo Allison type. Uh, maybe maybe not quite as vertically efficient. I think Geronimo Allison's a little bit quicker than he is as far as that goes, or a little bit more speed, top-end speed. But I just think that the six receivers might might actually be on the team already, and if they do bring somebody in, then that means that they're not feeling good about it. Yeah. Okay, a couple more things. We're talking a lot about the wide receivers. Uh, a couple more things. Uh, uh, at the corner position, letting Bashad Breeland walk. Yes, I had him because my, my two biggest questions – Will Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson step up and have a big year in, in year two? Will Kevin King stay healthy and stay on the field? And then lastly, Tremont Williams, I think he's on his last legs. I don't think he has much left to offer. So that's why I thought they should bring back Breland. I, I completely agree that they should have added another veteran corner. I do think that I actually don't even know where Breland signed. Uh, but whoever signed him, it was like $8 million. I think it might have been the Chiefs. But yeah. So it was like a like eight million dollars a year or something like that, wasn't it? It was it was, it was a lot of money. That's all I know, and it was yeah. way too much that I was willing to pay. Yeah, but that, that should that, it exactly the it should have been letting Breland walked and then not re- even trying to replace him. It, it, I think is is the mistake because Josh Jackson, he's gonna have to step up. He had he struggled his rookie year, but I, I have not lost faith in him at all. And then Kevin King, when he's on the field. He's good. He's a very, very sound tackler. He's a great athlete. He just needs to learn to stay healthy. And then once, I, like I said before, Tremont Williams, I think his biggest asset is his mind to help teach these young guys because he really is on his last legs. I, I don't see him even being on the team after this year. Well, I think he always signed a two-year deal before last year, so I think this is his yeah. last year. Um, but I completely agree. I mean, athletically, he's just he's old. I think he's, what, 36 or something like that, maybe yeah. even older. Uh, and he he should be a back-end guy that you don't have to play unless it's an emergency. Um, I personally was not the biggest fan of Josh Jackson coming out of Iowa. I, I thought there were some legitimate concerns with his ability to play in man coverage. I thought he was strictly a zone cover guy, kind of guy, um, a guy that had to keep the play in front of him and make plays that way. You know, they're, they're saying that he came into these off-season workouts. He, he's bulked up a little bit. Uh, you know, he looks good physically. Yeah, because he didn't have a, the, the fastest 40-yard speed, but he, he was known for, you know, his strong physicality. Right. And that got him into some trouble, though, last season with a lot of a lot of flags. So he's going to have to get faster and not rely on brute strength like he's been doing. Well, I, I, I'm not sure if he gets to get faster, per se, rather than just quicker. You know, more, oh, fluid, yeah, yeah, yeah. more fluid in the hips. and just. Uh, but I do still think that his best ability is as a off-ball, or not off-ball, off-man corner in – I think that with guys like Jair Alexander and Kevin King, who I love when he's on the field, with guys like that, you could man up there. And if you want to play Josh Jackson off a little bit, put somebody else underneath them, play a little combo man zone coverage, I think that that's your best way of utilizing their talents to the best of their ability. But, you know, obviously I'm not a freaking NFL defensive coordinator, so I'll let Petten figure that out. But, <laughs> you know, speaking of the defense, though, and who they could play at inside linebacker. 
they didn't add another veteran there. You know, again, inside linebacker really goes unaddressed after another offseason. Yeah, I was going to say, not adding an inside linebacker is huge. And and I don't count drafting Tyler Summers, okay? That guy's going to be special teams. And, you know, Oren Burks did not have a good season. And then with Josh Jones wanting to leave, I think that's also going to hurt him at inside linebacker. Now, I love Blake Martinez. I hate people ripping on Blake Martinez. I think he's probably their their best inside linebacker since Nick Barnett. And I think that he he is a overall a really great player and he needs to have a, a great partner. But you know, Jake Ryan, of course, gone. They're they're really gonna have to have a veteran in there, I feel. And they didn't address it in the draft at all either. So You know, and to be fair, in the draft, it didn't really fall. I've never been a guy to advocate spending a top fifteen pick on a linebacker unless they're generational. So well, that, that exactly AJ Hawk has scared the hell out of me to you know draft the linebacker inside linebacker in the first round, but you know like I, th- I thoroughly thought you know in the middle rounds they try to get somebody. I'm, the Packers have been, have been known not to really give high draft picks to inside linebackers, but at the same time they haven't had studs, you know you know sideline to sideline inside linebackers in a long time. Well, here my problem with the Packers and their lack of addressing the inside linebacker position. They're, you know, if you look at their historical tendencies as far as what they like at the position, they're pretty strict. There's not a lot of guys who meet them. And I, I just, I, I think we're going to have to see a change, a changing of the guard as far as what they look for uh, athletically, mentally, that, whatever you want to call it. And I think that, well, you know, new head coach, new GM still, I think, uh, what do you think? Do you think that they're going to start branching out a little bit? Or do you think it's been same old, same old when it comes to inside linebacker? Well, we've seen two years, and we've still seen a lack of addressing yeah. the position. I mean, they did take Warren Burks in the third. That's a pretty significant investment in a player. But, you know, maybe it was just a bad pick, and maybe they do recognize the deficiency, but they're not willing to give up on Warren Burks yet. You know, he was hurt a lot last year. He was a rookie. He was kind of thrust into the position when Jake Ryan went down with that ACL injury. I don't think they planned on him playing as much as he had to play last year. So, And that, and that, that there is exactly why I'm going to swing this back to one of the best choices. That was signing Adrian Amos because had they not signed him and they got Geno Savage, Savage is going to have to have a huge role. And that's why I think getting Amos was so big. But yeah, with Jake Ryan getting hurt, that thrust at Oren Burks in, and I don't think he was ready. Well, you know, I think Darnell Savage is actually ready for a big yeah. role. Uh, you know, the... I don't want to put too much stock in off-season workout comments and interviews and stuff like that. But when Shermont Williams came out this this past week and said and gave his comments about Darnell Savage, that spoke a lot to me. He, you know, talking about how intelligent this kid was before they even stepped on the football field, that just speaks so much to me because considering who it was coming from and and in the fact that he's asking for more, exactly. You know, it, yeah. it's huge. I'm excited to see what uh, this group can do. Uh, I'm excited for the secondary, even more so than I was last year after drafting Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. And I didn't think that was possible. But adding Darnell Savage this year, I think uh, I, I said it on the uh, Chiefs at TV, uh, the draft show, when we did it on Friday, the, the second round. And uh, I said that Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander were going to be the best of friends right away. These two are going to become they're going to become the Bass Bros in the secondary, and I'm excited oh, to see what they bros. do. I love that. So they're going to I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the secondary because I think that they're just going to click so well, and I think that they're similar in mindset, and that mindset is one of a more aggressive ball hawking. That's my ball. You have to take it from me. Type mentality that this defense has lacked for a long time, and it's starting to get that under Mike Patton, and it missed it for so long under Don Capers. 
Oh, yeah, because look at the greatest defenses in NFL history. Think of the Steelers of the 70s, the Raiders of the 70s, the Bears of the 80s, Lawrence Taylor and the Giants. What do they all have in common? They're mean physical defenses, and that's what this Packers team needs. It's just going to be so much fun watching this front, uh, we'll say front five, you know, with Rayshon Gary, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, if he's still around and he doesn't get traded, which I don't think he will. But, you know, those three with Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, and just the way that Pat moves them around to get pressure with your ball hawking safeties on the back end, you know, your safety valve and Adrian Amos, uh, Jair Alexander blanketing guys like Brandon Cook so that they can't get beat deep. Like, it's, I'm excited. There's a lot of different things I like it, a lot of different levels. Inside linebacker is the area where I have the least excitement, but I have a lot of expectations for Oren Burks. To really take that year two step because there's gonna be a lot put on him. I think he's a smart guy. I think he gets that. I think he knows that. You know, it's kind of funny that he played safety also at Vanderbilt before before switching to inside linebacker. He's got some good coverage skills. He can really be that uh, that really good complement to Blake Martinez if if he can put it all together. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm excited to see what this defense can do. Uh, as much as they didn't address certain positions, there's still a lot to be excited about. Definitely. So I think with that, we uh, have talked long enough about this offseason. I'm, I'm personally ready to keep, you know, keep up the hype for the season uh, moving forward. I, I think it might be getting time to really talking about what to look for in the 2019 season and uh, enough of the reflections and more of the projections. So I'm, I'm signing off. Uh, this is Tyler Grisigork again with the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm joined, by, uh, joined again today by Chris Schimmel. Uh, you can find me at Tyler underscore Grez on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. And you can find Chris Ware. Chris, you can find me on Twitter at Easy, at Chris Schimmel. <laughs> Thanks again for joining the Packaday Podcast. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it deep down the right sidelines, and intercepted. intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers, looking right, throws the right side. St. Brown makes the touchdown. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all six-five of his frame. Tumble out of bounds inside the thirty of the twenty-eight yard line. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap. Ryan looks right. Close right side. Intercepted to the house. Bishop Breland. Touchdown. Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return, and it's 16-7, Packers. Rodgers looks it over, takes the snap, blitz on, they pick it up, lost they the right side. They got him. They got him. 10-5, touchdown.
single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers who ducks it under center. From the 29 of Green Bay, and here's the handoff up the middle. Big hole, straight ahead. It is Aaron Jones off to the races, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, down the left sidelines, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the five-yard line of Miami. Aaron Jones with a burst, 67 yards. Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking, throws left side of the end zone. Yes, touchdown, Devontae Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied.